Hey guys, so before I go into today's episode of the podcast, I just want to make an announcement. So if you are new to the podcast or if you've been listening to the beginning, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. But I just want to make a special announcement that my first ever book is going to be coming out on the 3rd of December 2021. And The title of the book is The No-Nonsense Approach to Female Fat Loss and this is something that has been brewing for quite a while and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about and inside the book you'll be kind of looking at how to understand your menstrual cycle, how to understand your cravings, when to push your training, when to ease off your training, how to train and eat during your pregnancy and train around it, PCOS, how to understand endometriosis, amenorrhea, which is lack of a cycle. The pill is beneficial. What type of pill is more beneficial? Does it does it impact your sex drive? We talk about perimenopause and menopause, and we talk about thyroid, and there's many other topics that we talk about. So it's fairly in depth. It's going through every single stage uh, that a woman can go through, and it's fairly in depth. A lot of research, a lot of effort's been put into it. So I'm super super excited to announce that the book is available for pre-order through the link in the episode notes and it will be available through the link in my bio on Instagram at Shane Walsh Fitness or if you want to head over to shanewalshfitness.com forward slash pre-order the book and you can get all the details there. It will be available on Amazon from the 3rd of December as well which I'm super super excited for so I hope you guys enjoy the episode, hope you guys enjoy the book. Any questions on the book let me know but I'm super super excited and hope you guys get a copy hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the shane walsh podcast hope you guys are doing good so today's episode is going to be with myself and dallas so we are going to do a q and i q and a style podcast episode the questions have come in from clients from team swf and they have also come in from the q a box up on social media so dallas how are we Absolutely spitting. <laughs> I know. I, I I wait for what you what you're going to say about how happy you are, what word or language you're going to use, and it's 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 amazing your vocabulary. It's like you almost look up a word of the day calendar before you you kind of come in. I a client this morning, and I was just like, uh, I I was using a word, and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, let's go back, and I'm like, am I entranced? by this and she was like what the hell i was like no i had to use something different you know it's got to be every so often you've got to throw something you know in there that just dumbfounds everyone you know you've definitely done that i'll give you credit for that all the americans it behooves me to be trying something different i was like why say behoove boohoo.com um there are other brands out there um so I think today's episode is kind of like really, really broad, but it's also one of the questions that's going to make us extremely uncomfortable. And I let Alice know just before we come off air what the or came on air, what the question was. So the first question is, how do I reduce picking when cooking the kids dinner and when Halloween is about to come around the corner? Dallas. Eat all of it. <laughs> Um, you can tackle this from a few ways it's looking in terms of are you picking because you're actually hungry so if you are hungry address that and you can obviously reduce your picking another part is are you being consciously picking or are you unconsciously picking so this well, this 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 came up with one of the this was one of my clients that came up with this question and they said that for this for this question and purpose was they didn't even realize they'd eaten it until their kid came back saying, where is my fish finger? 
oh, very, I love fish fingers. But the, 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 the client doesn't actually like fish fingers. So before it was even registered, it was gone. So it'd be interesting to see how you would cope with that. Because I'm sure someone's ears are pricking up now saying, this is literally me. If you're in an unconscious state, right, which is majority of people or sitting in front of a TV, you're going to be either feeling some form of, say, emotion or stress, or you're just going to be going with the flow. So for a lot of people in an unconscious position, it's become a habit or they're unconsciously doing something, which is eating food. In that position, you can either try bring consciousness back and consciousness, I mean, presenceness, being present. Or what you need to do is you actually need to ensure that when that is occurring, you need to be there and ready to understand what's happening. So for a lot of people, when that occurs, that is a disassociated state, right? So the only way to overcome a disassociated state is to come back to the present. So to do that in being present, you can either when you're cooking food, take some breathing protocols or start having a conversation with yourself going, right, what is actually happening? What am I cooking? What am I doing? Because now you're answering yourself in your head where you're not just letting go back to the flow of a habit. Because for majority of people, that will be a habit. So it's like if you can bring consciousness back or you can bring that presentness back to it, you will start stopping that picking side. You can also just have one of your kids there standing there going, mommy, stop trying to eat my food. <laughs> I don't recommend that. So it's like try that first to see where that's going. Otherwise, you can also try and in, in a sense where when you are cooking food, what you can do is take moments to put the food down and step away and come back. So go get something from the fridge, go move something around the thing, because every time you go to move something, you're going to be bringing yourself back into the form of presentness. It could also come from a kind of a thing, right? It's a learned behavior in that like potentially your parents or something like that did that as well. And you saw them when they were cleaning up the plates or they didn't want to throw excess food out or whatever it may be. I know we live in a food abundance world at the minute rather than a scarcity mode. And potentially when they were younger, there was scarcity mode um, that it could be like when they're cleaning up the plates rather than throwing it into the bin, they're eating it rather than going to waste or whatever it may be. But it's also realizing that it's not the end of the world if you are doing it. Like if you're worrying about half a fish finger, which is probably about 60 calories, I would say, you're worrying about being bankrupt by about 10 cents um it's it's kind of like not beating yourself up about it could be probably the first place to start with second part is what Dallas says bring awareness to potentially why you are doing it potentially step away from the table potentially step away from the plate take a big deep breath in before you leave the if you're having dinner at a kitchen table which i hope many people are if take a big deep breath before you leave and say right am i hungry do i really want this if i want this just put on an extra plate and leave it on the counter um and see if they want it because ultimately Whatever actions you have now, your kids are mimicking. And if you've been mimicking your parents and they're not amazing habits, that may not help the kids either. So you have to think of a point of view of bring a little bit more consciousness into what you're actually trying to do, which isn't easy. Oh, and it's, it is, it, it's, it's realizing that it won't happen every time. It's realizing that you're human. It's realizing that if it happens, it's like, it's like it's it's like 60 calories or whatever a fish finger is mm -hmm. um and kind of go from there but what about kind of with the element of kind of picking at say like halloween this episode's kind of going out in the 21st the 10th halloween's like 10 days away how would you kind of be working with clients in relation to reducing the picking or even reducing is it may not be the word uh with halloween sweets and rent the, the house with the with the kids having the big bags yeah uh, 
enjoy your food and enjoy your your chocolate and sweets around Halloween. And the reason why I say first enjoy instead of trying to reduce is if you can get a little bit of enjoyment in spending time with the kids and having that little bit there, you're actually going to notice that there will be less picking overall. Secondly, the sweets and candy do not have to be out in the environment for that whole period until Halloween occurs. So it's like if you are naturally putting it out into the environment, you are probably going to end up eating it at one point in time. So it's like if you can put the sweets, candy or whatever that is in a cupboard, high up on top of a cupboard and keep it there, you'd be surprised how little you would actually go towards the food or the sweets, the chocolate. Another thing is just can you account for it in your calories? Is one chocolate a day going to be really a big of a problem? No. You're okay with it. And then it's just also recognizing, are you snacking because you really want it or are you just snacking because you're, de- you're not dealing with something? So those would be my aspects. What would you try? Um, I think there's a couple of ways you could look at it. I've kind of like, we incorporate chocolate or carbohydrates or every food into people's routine. It's coming, depending where the client's coming from, if you're coming from a scarcity mode of a certain food, I would probably give yourself an allowance of a certain food, like one or two bars a day at irregular times. And what I mean by irregular times is potentially have one for your lunch or potentially have one in the morning rather than having it in the evening, because most people probably have a disrupted eating pattern later on in the evening when they're little or when they're having their cup of tea, or you can have one in the day and have one in the evening and probably go from that mode. If you feel that it's going to be, if the food is lying out in the kitchen table, I would probably change the location of the actual food and probably put it into a press. Emphasis on what I've just said there, then putting it into a press. I didn't say the sweet press, the treat press, the biscuit press, the biscuit tin, the sweet tin. It's a tin, it's a press or a cupboard. It's You're giving it the name. So if you don't give the name of the press to something, it's taking away the power straight away. And people are like, this, that's way, like that's too deep. And I'm like, but psychologically, that's how we work. If we associate something, that we're going to go for it. I would also try to say to yourself, if you can, if you're working on this system yourself, bring in what you're working on yourself with the kids and say, right, have this each day, incorporate it into their lunchbox when they're going to school, box of Smarties or whatever, maybe even throw some fruit in with it. I know nobody likes those nuts that go in those bags either but throw them in as well and see how how much they return back to you. Um, but like you, you could do it that way. If you're finding that it's too much temptation, you know, you have to ask yourself, where is the temptation coming from? Is it from a restrictive mindset? Is it coming from, I'm going to rely on willpower here because the eighth, ninth time that you're just going to say no, you're going to, you're going to implode. You're human. It's going to happen. So you're better off saying to yourself, right, I'm having this each time. Create the atmosphere in your kitchen or wherever you have it we normally leave it in a bowl on the whole table with those bags for the kids or whatever it may be for when they knock and then after that they're kind of like they're put back into the other bags blind on myself the ice cream for me in the evening i could give or take chocolate or whatever it depending what your thing is if you could also go if you don't have kids the other aspect is if you've got trick-or-treaters and you brought loads of stuff into the house is like keep the stuff you like and potentially get rid of the other stuff they don't like if you've got a job you're going into work you're in a school bring the, the sweets into the school or bring them to the staff room and get them out of the house or give them to everyone else. But it, it, there's there's no right way to do it. There's, it's, it's bringing in that compassion side of things that we kind of try to hammer people home with. 
um, a lot. Take a big deep breath and say, right, do I need this? Do I want this? What's actually going on here if I, if I keep going back? Because there's no difference between you going for, the only difference between you going for three or four bars and, and number one is how you feel afterwards. The third or fourth bar is going to do nothing for you that the first one didn't if you're coming from an emotional eating background. And sometimes you're going to have more than two or three bars. You're human. Like, but if it's if it's dealing with a negative emotion consistently, it's not dealing with the emotion, it's the trigger. So you need to understand the behavior. And if you're dealing with the negative thing all the time and your behavior is to go for food, listen back to the episode. I literally just recorded with Sarah Colopy. She talks about an awful lot of like, there's a time and a place where negative emotion is there and you can have the ice cream or whatever. But if it's continuously a coping mechanism, you have to look at it from a point of view of that. So there's different angles you can look at, but I would probably try to include some of it in your day, but I probably wouldn't have it all lying all around the house and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, it's not a race to get rid of it. Oh, no. That's the big thing. People make a competition like, I had this tonight. Obviously, if you're having it on the day of or whatever, you're enjoying your Halloween, spend time with your kids. Amazing. Be present. It's one night. Like, it's it's going to manage fuck all. Yeah. But if you're kind of coming from, like, what's the, why, why are you trying to get rid of it? It's not a race. It's not a competition. Give yourself an allowance. Like, when you got pocket money as a kid, give yourself a little bit of an allowance each day. And don't, um, yourself. Hmm? don't reward yourself. No. And I, I don't punish yourself is the other word, the other side of it. Because if you're rewarding yourself or treat yourself, well, then you're at the other side of that is punish yourself. Um, so I don't like the word treat. I think the tweet, the word treat is not a very positive outlook on food because what are you treating yourself for? For getting through the day on the life that you created? <laughs> you made those choices. Okay. On your actions. Um, then the this kind of, kind of links in with the next question in relation to how to not let a night out uh, derail your progress. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. Well, I think we do, I've done numerous episodes on the, the alcohol thing. You can drink and lose weight. It's what you do over time. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're saving for your mortgage, if you're not going to get the mortgage on, on day one, first paycheck, it's what you do on average. Like one night out is not going to derail you unless you're allowed to potentially just go back to what you were doing the next day. If you're feeling tired of fatigue the next day, just go for a walk, get your, get your basic meals in where possible. Potentially, I'd probably try to reduce um, the, the the chance of getting a takeaway the next day, even though you're probably going to want it. But there's no problem in getting it. But it's how you feel afterwards is the biggest thing. Um, if you're going on a night out, pressing reset as soon as possible, be your best friend. If you if you if you're not pressing reset after it, that's a choice. Yep. No one else's choice, um, and that's hard to hear sometimes. That choice word, it's kind of like you need to own your actions. And then if you're struggling to kind of press reset, you need to look at it and say, well, why are you pressing reset? Are you coming from a perfectionist background? Are you coming from an all or nothing background? Is the restrictive mentality been there beforehand during the week so you can starve yourself for the uh, for the weekend? Have you let go of what has been working? So if you're kind of like, I wouldn't bank calories anyway before your night out. How, like Anne, uh, one of the clients, one of Jane's amazing clients came on and spoke about like, her biggest change for her was on nights out, she would have her regular meals throughout the day and she probably knows that she probably drinks a lot less Um, that she's filling herself up. She's having her nourishing meals um, throughout the day and winning the day Um, win the next meal, bang calories. Yeah. I probably wouldn't advise it for many. 
Um, if you're at a moderate um, calorie deficit, potentially, um, I spoke about it on the, when I was on Brian Keane's podcast of what the approach was, like reducing it by say two, two, two fifty, three hundred calories the next two days to reset. If you're not counting calories, just go back to what you were doing. But if you're saving up calories, say like bring yourself to twelve hundred calories Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then having like six, seven thousand calories on a Saturday, that's not going to help. Like drink. If you're struggling with your mental health, don't drink. Oh yeah, and it's also don't binge drink. Seriously, people. Like, like I'm all, like, and, and this is the thing. Like I think a lot of people are, like are struggling now with with things opening back up, and it's amazing things open back up. Like nightclubs are open on the twenty second. Um, there's concerts and stuff and matches and stuff opening back up, and you want to see your mates again. Amazing, but it's only one night in a week. It's only one meal in a week. The rest of the week is still there to be kind of had. Yeah. Go for a walk, book in the time with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever, maybe you, your dog, bring the kids out. You may not feel like it, but I guarantee you'll feel a hell of a lot better. Focus on getting more water into your body. Go for a bloody nap the next day. Yep. Um, so it can happen. The the biggest thing is like you have full control over it. Yes. And if you if you're truly set in changing your body composition or changing your body in any way and form, I'm gonna give you the best advice. Probably you want to cut back on alcohol. Remember, it is a toxin to the body. Yeah, so, that's and like I think cut back doesn't mean like doesn't have to stop, but like it's what three and a half units to reduce muscle mass. Yeah. If you're if you're trying to gain muscle, which isn't a whole lot of alcohol in in Irish or UK standards. Um, so it's being conscious of that. Like alcohol is a depressant. If you're if you are on a night out. And the first thing you do the next morning is step on the scales and it triggers you and you let it derail your week. You have to ask yourself, why are you looking for validation from a weighing scale to tell you that you knew that you already potentially didn't go in the direction you wanted to go? So you need to ask yourself, why are you stepping on the scales? Are you waiting for the scales to validate your actions? I wouldn't step on the scales after a night eight. I probably wouldn't step on the scales at all for most people. Probably wouldn't step on the scales for like two, three days afterwards. As long as you've got decent water in, getting back to your digestion, going back to the bathroom more regularly, getting decent steps in. And decent steps doesn't mean going from 8,000 to 25,000. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about doing more exercise to get to the point. It's like stay off the scales because the scales is going to go up the more liquid you have in your body. It's going to be and more food you have in your body. Think of your stomach like a bag. If there's more food in it or more water in it, it's going to weigh more. Think common sense. Ask yourself, is this going to benefit me to step on the scales? If it's not, stay off it. You don't need a scale to validate the actions that you've already actioned. You had a good night. Focus on the memories, not focus on the scales. Bingo. Uh, the next question is, you mentioned about kind of like mental health and anxiety and stuff like that. I know this one came in from one of your clients. Uh, regarding caffeine uh-huh. so uh, how much caffeine is too much coffee if you think it doesn't affect your sleep how much caffeine is too much caffeine right if you feel like you're about to have a heart attack and that you need to literally stop everything you've had too much caffeine and that's a nice easy way to do it for sports performance you can literally slab 600 milligrams of caffeine right and go and have an absolutely wonderful time playing sports reduces fatigue increases performance decreases pain Woo, wonderful however caffeine has a three 
most of the people technically six hours to nine hours half-life. So that means if you've chugged a monster, which is 150 milligrams, six hours later, you still have, depending on how quick, anywhere from 50 to 80 milligrams in the system. So, hmm, still caffeine running around. That means then by nine hours, finally are you seeing for some people, that's if your six hours is your half-life, finally seeing a low enough dose that your body can then at least still function, get you to sleep. So what I recommend then is if you're going to consume caffeine, i.e. don't consume ridiculous amounts early in the morning and don't consume ridiculous amounts late in the evening. There are some people that can metabolize caffeine quicker than others. However, it's a small populace, so it's nothing like, oh, everyone's like, oh, no, I'm definitely it. If you think it's you, it's probably not you making it making it out there because caffeine is felt for, felt by the majority of the population. You're going to see an increase in your heart rate. You're going to see an increase in sweat rate. You're also going to notice that you're starting noticing things. You're going to start perceiving things quicker. And it has an ability to not only make you go to the toilet because it works on the distal part of the colon, but it also has the ability to increase anxiety and jitters. Yep. So if you happen to be someone who is predisposed to anxiety or happens to go through bouts of anxiety, consuming high amounts of caffeine is probably one of the worst things you could do because the first thing that comes to your head is the shakes. Then you get a little bit more and then you feel your heart go. Yep. Um, you also have to look at why you're relying on caffeine. But it energizes me. Come on now. But then your your energy drops back down and you're back to square one. Like the big root cause of it is you're not sleeping. Oh, yeah. Like you got take into account that caffeine works on a bell curve, right? So you see a rapid increase and you start using it as it keeps rising through the blood and then it starts coming down to form that little bit of a bell. When you're coming on the backside of that slope, and when you're there going, oh, I'm not energized. Oh, you are still energized. The problem is you're not at that high fucking peak. You're not at Mount Everest anymore. You're still halfway up that mountain. So I'm like, you still have a lot left in you. So when you want to go to sleep and you're like, oh, it takes me about 15, 20 minutes to fall asleep. Oh, I wonder why. Because your body has to not only push the caffeine molecules off the adenosine receptors of the brain, and then it needs to flood it with a crap ton of serotonin and melatonin to get you into a sleepy state. And then there's a the second part. The more and more caffeine you consume, the more your body has to upregulate its receptors to counteract it. It's a drug. So it's like, You've got to be understanding of this. There's a reason why you can build a tolerance to this. I think it's also important, like if someone's kind of going from, say, six coffees a day, um, it's important to say, like, don't go cold turkey. Or you can if you want, but I wouldn't advise it. Like, you may learn a, a very, very valuable lesson if you do. Yeah. You've got a hell of a lot of withdrawals and you've got a hell of a lot of migraines. But if you are going from, say, six coffee coffees a day, I'd probably recommend going from five, four, three, two, one, or else replace say, your sixth with a cup of water uh, or a decaf or a cup of tea. So you're still getting some sort of like chill out time in the evening, whatever it may be. But if you're relying on caffeine to kind of like stimulate you all the time, you need to look out like, well, where's my recovery coming in? Where am I getting my sleep? Where am I managing my stress? Because if you're stressed already and you're anxious already, 
it's like electric it's like getting a battery and then putting the electric charges to it it's not going to help the situation you're just going to fry yourself even further um so i probably recommend cut off of your caffeine at probably around 12 latest two o'clock because if you have a coffee at 12 o'clock it's going to be soon your system at 12 o'clock that night and if you're going to bed at 11 you're not helping yourself so uh, does it happen every time for myself absolutely not i'll probably have if i know like i'm going to a wedding on friday um and i know i'll probably have a, a coffee late in the evening but that's too be able to kind of get that little bit of energy boost to have a little bit more energy for the event so just to help me and whatever it may be because i won't be drinking so people around me drinking are tiring enough so i need coffee yeah, to uh a boost to bring out all those moves you know on the dance floor like come on oh, yeah especially when you're wearing a, a tux black tie oh damn i want to see you spinning on your head though no i have to polish my head on the floor first <laughs> so yeah so like how much caffeine is too much coffee it depends on the person depends on the genetic factors what i advise it's it takes a very it, you have to be the very 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 rare person that is able to tolerate it late in the evening but i'm able to go to sleep straight after it's like you're not able to go to sleep you're going into sleep but you're not going to deep sleep no wonder you're not waking up rest in the morning if you're not waking up rest in the morning there's your feedback remember caffeine naps are possible i just want everybody who's listening to this there are caffeine naps which is 100 a thing so effectively what you would do is you take a high dose of caffeine right when you're feeling extremely tired right and it's going to rush the system and effectively what it's going to do is going to force you into a nap absolutely beautiful but it actually hasn't hit enough of the system to saturate you so you end up falling asleep for about 15 to 20 minutes max and then as soon as that caffeine truly starts seeping into the system you end up waking up it's used for a lot of sports performance from when they need to get a little bit of extra recovery in. but it's like you taking caffeine most people don't take caffeine literally before they sleep they usually take it about an hour before or at least two hours before the caffeine is now surging through your system it is no longer helping you and think about a sports performance think about the activity and how they're using it so it's like if you're using it just so you can walk around the house you're not really using caffeine so it's like you might fall asleep but i guarantee your deep sleep and REM sleep are going to be absolutely fucked and you wake up going Oh, I feel tired. Oh, it must be the kids that woke me up at one o'clock. I'm like, the kids waking up for 10 minutes is not a problem. It's the fact that you're having caffeine. Yeah. So try and replace with some water. Potentially go to decaf. Potentially go to tea. There's still caffeine in tea, which I don't think a lot of people realize. Switch to herbal teas. I think water is probably the one that's probably where I would start. Go from six to five to four. Bring a little bit of glass of water. Guarantee your energy will go up. Your digestion will be a hell of a lot better. Your cognitive function will probably be a little better and your energy state throughout the rest of the day will be a little bit more steady. The next question is in relation to, is there a cutoff for how much protein you can absorb at any one time? No. That was the TED talk once again. Um, no, I think there so a lot the, the myth was out there at the minute is like you can absorb like i think it's like 20 to 20 to 30 grams in one sitting that's like any one meal and that's all your body will allow it your body is not like a tap it can't just turn on the the protein receptor and turn off the protein receptor that's not what's going on in the body if you are trying to get your protein in it could be better for you to get it throughout regular meals throughout the day so you keep your satiety and your hunger at bay a little bit more continuous basis but it's not the be all and end all if you have it all in the evening but you may find that if you have too much of it in the evening that you may find that a little bit harder to digest you may feel a little bit more bloated you may feel, and if your neck and shakes and stuff like that it could end up affecting your digestion there is no limit 
every single person has a has, has a different genetic predisposition to the amount of protein that their body can absorb. We probably poo at the rest, um, but we don't. It doesn't just turn it off. The tap, the, the, the receptor doesn't turn off or whatever it may be. So we you have to look at it that from that point of view. I would probably try to stop complicating the nutrition that you're probably doing at the minute and just aim to get two to probably three regular feedings of protein a day as much as you can, as much as possible. I can't see any negative unless you've got good health issues where the amount of protein is probably having too much of an impact. Like if you're relying on protein bars for your protein, I probably wouldn't recommend doing it all the time. I would probably end up recommending going for better nutritious sources. There's nothing wrong with them. They're glorified chocolate bars. And if you want to get your sweet tooth date with them, amazing. But if you're struggling from IBS or digestive systems issues, they're not going to be amazing for you. The protein milks are really handy on the go. Like if you're, they're really, really good. Um, They're really handy on the go. That's what I, if I know I'm struggling, I'll just, if I'm about to go for my walk, I'll get one of those protein things and have the, have it on my walk. So I'm getting 27 grams in, while I'm for a walk and staying hydrated. version now, which is 32 grams. Oh, the gold one. Oh, the vanilla one is absolutely gorgeous. The strawberry one's the nice one. I know, but they haven't put whey into it yet, though. So until they no. do that, then no. Yeah. No. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. So the next question is something that's going to be a little bit of a trigger for a few people is in relation to tell us like what are you going to ask um when are 1200 calorie diets okay every day any day whatever the year <laughs> okay so let's have context you may have noticed that we are anti uh 1200 calorie diets on this podcast but that's not to say that it's not the, in the right hands that it cannot be used there will be people who, who are out there that will be at a certain weight or a certain um energy expenditure so they could be sitting at a desk all day could, could be at a certain weight and they may be struggling to lose weight so at a certain time certain head frame as well a uh, mindset around food where there could be a time and a place for 1200 calorie diets if someone's doing a photo shoot prep they could be 1200 calorie diets if they could be doing like a bodybuilder and they're doing a show they could be 1200 calorie diet if it's not lower to get to that kind of like down 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 for 99.9 percent of people out there i probably wouldn't recommend it but it's kind of like it's context context depending if you are a, if you are a person who is in a smaller body you will need less fuel to operate your vehicle I like that. But it's also, you've got to take account, like even there the other day, I saw a dude who was 120 kgs, right? 120 kgs stepping on stage and he was eating 1,200 calories. That was what he needed in order to get dick skin lean. Yeah, but how much was he eating beforehand? Exactly. And I was like, that shows you like this dude, like 120 kgs approximately means that he's going to be eating roughly close to 4,000 calories a day, give or take from when he first started. So yeah. think about that, like the absolutely insanity to get down to that level in order to do that. But it's also taking account that it's also a very valid method, like the 800 calorie diet or 600, 800 calorie and a thousand two hundred calorie diet are there for reasons not only as we spoke about being a small body a small energy expenditure but also in terms of life-threatening diseases like in terms of diabetes or obesity where it's like you need to get your weight down rapidly otherwise you're not making it through this year and it's like 
then you're going to have to do that. And it's like, there's a reason why the NHS has the 800 calorie diet and they spend six weeks with a, a practitioner helping you and they give you the plan to food wise that you pretty much like eating a bit of food and then drinking a shake and then eating a bit of food. And it's like, yeah, but I'm hungry. It's like, it doesn't matter. You don't have a choice because then you're not getting through where you need to be for the end of the year. So it's like, there are methods for it there on purpose. It works. It's there, but it also comes down. It comes at a cost. And a lot of people don't recognize that. If you're coming from a binge eating background, money shouldn't be counting calories. Uh, you need to go and talk to someone about things. If you're coming from an ocean background, 1200 calories won't serve you either. If you're trying, if you're opening my fitness pal and saying to lose two pounds of weight loss a week, and it brings you to that magic number and you're in the position to do it. Great, but I would say the vast majority of people who get to that number are not going to be in the headspace to do it. So there's a place from a medical point of view, so there's a place in a bodybuilding, that kind of sort of purpose. But if you're in a smaller body and you aren't active as much, obviously you're not going to need as much fuel. But consciously doing it over time, and it, it's you're kind of like eating, like say, two and a half thousand calories the next day or three thousand calories the next day then it's not the approach for you. So it's kind of like, once again, right tool, right hand. Um, yeah, that's basically what I'd recommend on that. The next question, second last question, Dallas. Um, there is another question that came in, and I don't know if I'm going to ask it because I don't know if I want to cause controversy. Oh, I'm happy for controversy. Okay, well, then I might ask it. Um, what to eat before and after training? Whatever the hell you fucking want. <laughs> right. If you're going to do it this, so I remember having a conversation with my client about this in the same aspect. If your training is close enough to a feeding, so i.e. say you train in the morning at half five in the morning for those people that like getting up at my time. If you waking up at that time in training, right, and you come home, whatever you want to eat, provided it's a, got a decent amount of protein, which I recommend all your meals have, and there's some decent amount of carbs, a little bit of fats, fiber, you're doing a good job, right? You can make a case that after training, ideally you want to get more glycogen top up. So if you've done more cardio-based, you kind of want to obviously have a little bit of a better carby meal. So that will help you. If you are more of a person that say trains in the evening, right? Take a look at when your previous meal was. Was it three, four hours ago? Was it five hours ago? It was five hours ago. Try and cut that time between training and whenever the previous meal was and go, right, I'm going to have a little bit of a carby snack or protein snack, something just to take you over so that you're not ravished between training. Everyone puts a lot of emphasis on training nutrition instead of just training and doing the job and working hard. And this is the problem. It's like, unless you are competing and it's, paramount that every little grain has been kept for and made sure that it's in working order that's when you only start seeing massive changes for 99 percent of the populace as long as you've had some food within the day had something either a little bit carby whether it be a protein or carby thing close enough to training it will help do you need food before training no do you need food after training no there is a window so you've still got enough of time after it it's not like you have to go eat something straight away or straight before think of 24 hours yeah think yeah think of 24 hours to, to kind of get your food in um i think 
well, so if people have been listening to this podcast for a while, they would probably listen to the episode with Dr. Stacey Sims. Yeah. And Dr. Stacey Sims will talk about the, the impact that intermittent fasting can have on a female. And she talks about that intermittent fasting, which is uh, windowed eating. So you don't eat for 16 hours. You eat all your food within eight hours. So she talks about from the studies that have been done, and there's more studies that need to be done, that it can have an impact on various different elements, different hormones, and have different impacts on the body for a girl and kind of have impact on hormones. So it, it what I know when I, I, I kind of re regurgitated the post in a different way and I got free, I got hit back with a few comments saying you how can you say this I'm like I'm not saying it I'm I'm giving you the evidence of what I'm suggesting but if you're someone who functions a little bit better in the morning faster than training amazing but if you're someone who's waking up sluggish and your training sessions aren't amazing having a small bit of a banana or having a small spoon of peanut butter couldn't do any harm to get you through your session and i probably notice a difference that you probably feel a lot better have more energy your sessions will improve and your body composition could improve over time and your numbers will improve over time so it is girl dependent and woman dependent uh on what you're doing for men it's it's also up to you if you want uh you probably it's not ideal to be training first thing in the morning because you're probably more stressed in the morning anyway but that's completely up to preference if that's every time you get your sessions in then that same time you get your sessions in. And I know you wanted to talk to something about um, the kind of the, the menopause side of things. So like in terms of things, like there are data to show that menopausal women and peri, um, that eating straight off the workout can be very helpful in balancing everything through the body. Now, the big thing I would like to once again kind of iterate through people, it's this is context dependent on your life. If you have to go out of your way to ensure that you're getting the meal as quickly as you can, even if it's 30 minutes to an hour after you've worked out and say you're an hour away from the gym or you've got kids to pick up or you've got something to do that's pressing you're putting more stress into your life for no reason. And this is why it's I always recommend people don't focus so much on timing of nutrition because it's like you're adding stress where there's no where stress shouldn't be. So it's like if you find that you are busy and you find that you've got kids to look after and all these things, yes, you might see a small little benefit, but is that benefit going to be outweighed by the amount of stress that is caused ensuring you have food waiting? And I can guarantee you it's not because the stress is going to have a knock-on effect to you later in the evening or later in the day. That's a very valid point. Um, I think this is going to be the last question. I don't think I'm going to go with the controversial question. I think that I think because I'm doing something with the one of the presenters on it, so I'm not going to do it um, in the July. So I'm not going to do it. Um, in relation to the last question is biggest mistakes you've made as a coach and i think when this question came in i was like oh this is a zinger and i guess you're a little bit uncomfortable but what do we say the gold comes out of being uncomfortable so uh where do i start i think i've only ever sacked two clients and what i mean by sack is felt that i wasn't the right person to direct them in the right direction mm-hmm. one was face to face and one was online um and that was probably june was probably the most recent one um just wasn't the wasn't the right dynamic um for both parties so gave out the kind of the point of view and kind of have it have a an amicable uh response to it. the face-to-face was not so amicable 
Um, but it was kind of like a breakup, but it was kind of at that point where I couldn't bring that person's direction they wanted to go. They needed that little bit of a mental support that I could provide. And I wasn't prepared to let that boundary go into where I was. And I had to keep in my lane and that side of things. The other big mistake is like, I've probably taking on everyone rather than taking on the people that I, that they could properly, that I could properly help. Like say someone who's come from an eating disorder background, when I, when I am not qualified to do that, um, I wholeheartedly admit that having done that in probably, I don't think I've done it since the first year I started as a PT, mm-hmm. maybe the first maybe four or five months, but I also didn't know what a really eating disorder was until I really researched it. But uh, that's probably where I am at. Knowing to stay in your lane was probably the biggest lesson I learned, like having people that you can outsource people to, like, yeah. um, people who may be in the more realm of the hormone side of things or people who could therapy or cbt or whatever it is having people that you can outsource stuff to i think it's important thing so if you are coaches to this and you haven't done that or you haven't got that put around you link in with the local people around you and say and have a chat saying can we even operate a referral thing like la- last night i even got a, a referral off uh, a gp uh who was one of my corporate clients beforehand referring a client over to me because he knows he's staying in his lane. He knows from a medical point of view that that, that that person needs help, but he's able to say, right, Shane can be the best person for you. So what about you? Um, vice, well, this is two sides to the coin. So not pushing someone when they should be pushed um, in the sense that being too cautious. Um, so I always consider that I think it's it's a tricky business to always not only put your own biases aside and recognize that, but then as a person and as a coach, you also then have to recognize that I think it's one of the best things I've ever learned is that what you predict that is going to happen is a formulation that you've used from the information you gathered that does not mean it's going to happen. For instance, if I see someone struggling, that doesn't mean that they can't be pushed to get a result they want. I'm basing on the fact that, well, okay, look, they're struggling. So struggling means they can't handle more load. But how do you not know the person can come together on the stress? How do you not know the person can come together and pull it out? Being pushed is the very reason why they end up making everything work. Conversely, the other side would be the, the exact same thing, where it's pushing when they should be more caution. And I think that's also the beauty about it. And I think as a coach and as a person and someone who eventually will, once I decide to go finish all of my <laughs> studies, will be dealing with people in a very particular way. It is not only has to be it client focus, but also has to be amalgamation between understanding when and how to push and sometimes when to step back. And it's a continuous process that you fight because not only are you dealing with yourself going, hey, I know you can do it, but you're also coming up with thoughts about that going, am I projecting or is this truth? And always having to understand that what you're projecting is not truth. So it's like, that's two mistakes in the sense that I've gone through countless times and learn more and more as time will go on, because it's like, you cannot ever truly know if someone is truly ready for being pushed or if you, the time is right to be pulled back and cautious. It is still something that is effectively 
up in the wind that you have to play by ear and try and use as much as you know and the feel and the, the sense from the person and being at least in a position to communicate in that sense. Um, well, we have lists here. Um, communication would be another one in terms of that, in terms not always being openly honest about things. And when I mean openly honest is giving the harsh reality of what has occurred for a person. So then they go like, oh, I'm not hitting that. No, no, we can keep trying. We can keep trying. There needs to be a sense of honesty in the sense that if things are not going right and the methods are not being employed, sticking to the method is not going to work. And the true honesty comes from that and going, hey, this is going to hurt. This is going to suck, but the method is not going to work. It takes a little bit of time and practice for that. And sometimes by not being that honest about the fact that maybe this method is not working for the person, maybe this joint venture is not working for the both of us and we're not the dynamic we need is something that can take a lot. And it's a mistake I will always happily always own up to because it's like it's something that will always need work. When we are people, we are dynamic in the sense that we have so many functioning things that can change. And it's just you need to be understanding that the honesty needs to be there, but also the level of communication that can always be improved. It can always be better. You can always find a different way of finding a way around the problem. Let me keep going. Um, I, think, I think the last one, I think I'm going to finish up on is remembering to like, I think when you when you first start out as a PT, you come out more confused out of your course than anything. You think like the, the, the course is like, oh, you're the finished product. You're by far from a finished product. You're probably more dazed than anything. I came out of that course more confused than anything. Like there's so much thing. It was just like, right, learn this off, get through the test, whatever it may be, learn all the cues, whatever it is, and, and they ready to go it's recognizing that you have to coach the individual rather than coaching the, the everyone the same tools because Mary down the road is not going to be the same as Jane. Jane's not going to be Sarah as, uh, as Mary down the road or Susan down the road. Everyone is different. Everyone has different things. Some could have kids, some have work-life balances. Some just need an arm around the shoulder. Some just need to kick up the arse. It's, it's, it's various different things. And you need to understand like who's in front of you right now. Who are you talking to right now? Can they? Can you be a little bit harder with them? Mm. Are you putting your own bias onto them? Are you being a dick because you haven't slept yet and you're stressed? <laughs> That's like guilty. Um, but it's coming from that point of view of like you have to actually coach the client, not yeah. actually just ram down your ideologies, which is something I think can be blurred the odd time. But I'm better at calling myself out on it now. Mm. Um, and that's something that we've had at the open chat of oh, yeah. with our own clients in the last week. Oh, yeah. And that, like, I think it's also recognizing that there is no one perfect way of doing this. And it's being open to admitting that. And it's like, I have had conversations that were extremely hard with clients and laying into them to see them come out the other end, like as a phoenix rising and actually doing absolutely amazing. I've had conversations with clients where I've had to be like, hey, I took that approach and that approach didn't work. And that's my fault, you know, and people don't recognize that. It's like owning up to those mistakes is something that not only makes you better, but also 
it allows you to grow. It allows you to understand more about you, but also connect with people on a different way, but also help them in a different way. And that is something that very few people want to actually recognize when it comes to having those conversations. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. So it's bringing back the human element, self-compassion element back in. Um, so I think that's all of the questions. Reducing picking with dinner, reducing how to manage Halloween, not letting a night out derail your progress. How much caffeine is too much caffeine? Is there a cutoff point of how much protein you absorb? When a 1200-calorie diet is okay? What to eat before and after training? Biggest mistakes you have made as a coach. And I'm not going to do the last one because of work commitments and I do not want to lose that gig, so I'm not going to do it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's loads there, guys. If you have any questions or any feedback or you agree or disagree whatever we said, please do pop us a message um if you are popping us a message or you disagree with something that we said say it in a nice way we'll respond if you come at us i'm not going to respond I'll, I'll spend my fucks elsewhere um so guys if you enjoyed the episode please do tag us up on your stories the more people you share this with and tag us in the more it will help if you are something someone's coming from a yo-yo back, dining background and you're looking for proper information then do this um the book is by the time this episode is out, is been sent for print, I think. Yeah, it's got like, what, one month left before it ships? Yeah, before it ships is one month left. So I think by the time this episode is going out, uh, the, the book is written by the time this is going out. Um, and then it's just kind of going through two, two three drafts, and then it will be be sent uh, off. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting it in my hand. Um, yeah. I think Dallas has seen how much of a uh, struggle it's been mentally. Like it's it's I think be, when I get the book in my hand, it's going to be worth it. But it's uh, it's writing a book is tougher than I I thought I realized, and I think it took on a little bit more than I probably wished. But I think it'll be worth it in the in the grand scheme of things. So guys, if you haven't got a copy of the book already click the link in the bio to pre-order it. it's going to be available up on amazon on the 3rd of december anyway um and if you guys want me to do an audible i will or a, an audiobook i will uh but it has to be enough of you guys to do it because there's a lot in the book and it's gonna take a lot of time for me to uh pronounce some of the words uh that's gonna be the biggest thing so i'm just gonna use the abbreviations um so uh if you want to work with us as coach uh with coaching guys head over to my Instagram, Shane Walsh Fitness, or head over to www.shanewalshfitness.com forward slash online coaching, or just pop us a DM. Uh, we have something coming exciting, I think, in the new year and stuff like that. We're kind of, we're in talks about it at the minute um, regarding the coaching side of things. So yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much, Dallas. Yeah, you're more than welcome and stay tuned for the SWF calendar. <laughs> nope.